Really what we're saying is that anything that doesn't exalt the work of Jesus, we can we can let go of. Yeah. We're not conscience bound to keep doing it, even if it's a long held tradition in the church. Hello, this is Pastor John. And this is Pastor Tim. It is the Every Moment His podcast. And we're sitting here in this moment, yeah. of all the moments, <laughs> uh, doing uh, an episode about uh, Roman Catholicism. Yeah, and we're, we're in the Sanctuary of Holy Cross here in Kearney, and man, it's looking good in that Reformation red, I would it say. It is. You know? Regal. Yeah. Contrary to pop- popular belief, we didn't put up red for the Husker game. We didn't. Return of the Huskers. No. And uh, if, if that were the case, it didn't help very much. No, it didn't. <laughs> yeah, it kind of backfired. But no, it is for the, the remembrance of the Reformation. Yeah, but uh, this Sunday, it'll be white, I think, right, for All Saints? That's, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So we are, this is right, you know, Martin Luther, when he tacked on his 95 theses and kind of kicked this whole thing over, um, he did it in preparation for, um, for All Saints Day. Yeah, it was All Hallows' Eve, right. As we know, as Halloween now, but he put it on the church door because he wanted to address some of the issues surrounding uh, indulgences in particular, the state of people's souls. What is the state of those saints who have died? Who is a saint? And so he he used this time, which was a grand... um, festival in the church, he used it as a time to begin a debate. I think he was a little naive. He thought, oh, I'm sure someone will want to have a reasonable conversation with me about this. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) uh, posting those uh, arguments, those 95 arguments, uh, you know, the printing press had just been invented. And that was kind of like Facebook back then. He he posted something on the wall, right? Yeah. And and, uh, it kind of went viral. It did. He got lots of likes and, and some angry face emojis. Yep. <laughs> In fact, the powers that be wanted to shut him down. Uh, but really, it sparked a, a conversation about, uh, about theology and the practice of the church. And uh, really, that leads up to this day, because right now, there is, sadly, still a divide between these two communions, the uh, Lutheran Catholics and then the Roman Catholics. Yeah. And... And so today, uh, in this episode, uh, we're going to discuss the question of the Pope, and then also the question of purgatory. And two Ps. Two Ps. And then I think next episode, we're going to take a look at the Virgin Mary and the Saints, which yep. sounds like a cool band name. <laughs> Christian band. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a Roman Catholic Christian Maybe band. Maybe she has a band in heaven. I don't know. Anyway, okay. um, <laughs> we'll see. But anyway, you, you before got a we joke. get, yeah, you got a joke. should we get into? Okay. She telling a joke here. So, uh, did you hear about the nun who hitchhiked, hitchhiked across the United States? Yeah, I have. In fact, uh, did you? she was a Roman Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, is that a dad joke? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It, this is kind of like a. It's like a. Um, 
it's about as edgy of a pastor joke as you can get maybe from mm-hmm. the pulpit, you know, people might I chuckle. think your Baptist joke's kind of edgy. Yeah, yeah. You want to hear that one? or No, we got to <laughs> just save that. We got to save this it. This is the for second week we've teased people with I that. I know, but we're going to do an actual episode on Baptist. <laughs> it's going to be such a letdown. Maybe we'll get a <laughs> real live Baptist here. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we could probably track one down. Track one down, yeah. So let's talk, before we begin a critique of uh, the Pope and purgatory, uh, let's talk about some things that we appreciate about the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. So what are some things that you genuinely appreciate about um, that tradition? Yeah, and I think this is important because sometimes, um, <laughs> you know, Lutherans have not had nice things to say about the Roman Catholics, and the Roman Catholics have not had nice things to say about the Lutherans. And, and I think that maybe our two communions have grown a little bit. We've matured in being able to recognize some good. Yeah. Like we're able to say, hey, we're both Christians. Uh, and even though we have these, uh, these differences, we, we appreciate some things about uh, one another. I would say yeah. um, I don't want to steal yours because I think we appreciate some of the same things. But, okay. Well, um, I'll be okay if you do. Okay. <laughs> I really appreciate the architecture and the art of Roman Catholic churches. When you walk into a Roman Catholic church or a basilica or a cathedral uh, like St. Patrick's in New York mm-hmm. uh, or the uh, basilica in St. Louis, Louis yeah. you know you're on holy ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no question about it. It's ornate. It's beautiful. Everything is theological and carefully thought through. And, and sometimes when you come into Protestant places of worship, it's like a multi-use building. You know, yeah. like, you know it's like, um, are we worshiping or are we playing basketball? Yeah. What are we doing? You know? <laughs> right. and, and not to... Can you put to the wrestling mats against the wall at least so yeah. they're not in the way? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and not that you can't worship in that space, but that is something that I appreciate about Roman churches is there is this very ornate, beautiful... Uh, regal kind of um, sense of we are on holy ground, we're doing holy things, we have left the outside world, and we've come into God's sanctuary. Now, granted, like, you know, I lived in Mexico for a summer, and I would see these beautiful, ornate cathedrals, and like lots of homeless people begging Mm -hmm. on the outside. So there's that disparity between like, do we really want our churches to be decked out in gold, and then have people still be hungry on the street? Sure. But nevertheless, um, I do appreciate the the great care and respect and reverence that those yeah there seems have. to be a balance there um, and actually, the church has over the centuries argued over the proper use of art uh, many times yeah. right um, and actually, Luther looked at this question carefully. Um, some of his contemporaries were beginning to say that we should have zero art, yeah, In you fact, got no images. Music. Yeah, yeah, even no music, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were just trying to make it such a spiritual-only um, experience. And they, they were beginning to say that uh, the use of Lutheran art or any art to, in worship is a form of idolatry. Yeah. And so, and I think that was an overreaction to Rome's use of um, icons and uh, things that would, you know, if you kissed a certain uh, relic, you would get a certain years off of purgatory or whatever it might be, a dispensation of grace. And they were reacting to that. And Luther looked at it carefully and he said, no, um, art, in, if it's used in the right way, if it's used in um, as a tool 
to remind us of the one true God. It mm-hmm. is not used as an as an idol. So we don't worship the art. We but we use the art to enhance our worship of the true God. And you have to keep that straight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And 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 so if you go to maybe like a reformed church and and maybe like a presbyterian church, uh, typically the con- the the sanctuary is going to be very plain. It's going to be, you know, white walls. Uh, clear glass windows. Yep. Uh, there's going to be a focus on the pulpit, and but then if you go to some Lutheran churches, you can kind of tell when they were built because the mm-hmm. ones that were built in the '60s or the '50s are kind of more like Reformed churches a little That's bit. Right. They're going to be kind of empty of any like art, maybe some stained glass windows. But if you go around to a Lutheran church in say rural Nebraska uh, that was built in like the 1880s, mm-hmm. you're going to see like an altarpiece with like a statue of Christ, even some of the saints. I mean, it's just very interesting the way that's uh, been in our tradition. And I think part of it too is just as we expanded west, we became more thrifty, you know, just by necessity. Right. Where actually a lot of the East Coast churches are going to be very beautiful. There's a church in Buffalo, New York, a Lutheran church that's just beautiful, you know, has ornate tiling all over it. Yeah. We've kind of lost some of that. What what I appreciate it, my grandparents are, are professional artists, so I've always kind of been forced <laughs> to enjoy art. Um, but that's been good because I just recognize that as a human creature, uh, there's so many visual, beauty, sound, all of these things can enhance our worship of the one true God. And God saved humans. Yeah. Right? So the, the communication we use should be for humans. So good one. Yeah, so we can learn from this. And uh, how about you? Um, Well, I do like, um, I'll steal yours, I think, but (laughs) I do like the rigorous, uh, thoughtful tradition. So the academic tradition in the Roman Catholic world, the scholastic tradition of just deep thinking, Mm -hmm. appreciation of philosophy. Um, They have really deep wells, you know, when it comes to their intellectual. Yeah, like they produced people like uh, Tolkien, mm-hmm. uh, G.K. Chesterton. I uh, mean, Aquinas. Uh, well, they don't own Aquinas because he was pre-Roman. True. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We can claim Aquinas. That's to a, a good certain point. Degree. Okay, let's uh, do that. But uh, also a Flannery O'Connor hmm. or like a Henry Nouwen. You know, mm-hmm. just these people mm-hmm. that are just great people, great thinkers, and really care about like the good of society. Yes. Yeah. And that's another thing I appreciate. Uh, just to tag one more on is just. When I see, a lot of times, uh, when I see church activity, um, evangelicals or charismatic people, they'll have this really strong, man, we're going to have this super duper event that's just going to, man, it's going to change the world. And it's kind of there in, and then some things happen, but then some things just kind of fizzle out. And I like the approach that Roman Catholics take to uh, serving their community, because they just kind of, they're like, we're going to be here for the long haul. Yeah. And they seem to have more of an incarnational way of serving that I appreciate. Yeah, and I think I see a lot of churches trying to be cool mm-hmm. in America. And I think Roman Catholics are like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and we've been I here think for I'll, a long time. <laughs> we've been here for a long time, yeah. yeah. So I think that even a lot of young people are attracted to yeah. Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy because they they want something that is older <laughs> than maybe their parents' generation. Yeah. And and that isn't the latest trend or fad. Yeah. Yeah. 
I also think that applies to uh, some of the moral backbone that the church, the Roman Catholic Church has had over the years, mm-hmm. is they're not trendy, you know, with what they think um, about any, any topics. And while you might criticize that, um, there's some, you can see their logic. Yeah. So if you're interested in their logic, they'll explain to you why they believe certain ways on moral issues, yeah. which is useful. But nevertheless, we have some critiques. We do. We do. So the first one, um, the Pope. The Pope. Um, so as a Roman Catholic, Roman Catholics say, yeah, that the Pope is the vicar of Christ on earth. Meaning that he stands in Christ's place yeah. and speaks for Christ. Right. So yeah. he's like the mediator here on earth for Christ. And um, I actually pressed a Roman Catholic theologian on this, and I said... If if Saint Peter, the first pope in their mind, mm-hmm. if Saint Peter came back and uh, was here with us, and he was saying something, and the the current pope contradicted Saint Peter and said something else, there was a divide. I said, "Who would you believe?" And he thought for, about it for a few minutes, and then he said, "I would go with the current pope." Mm. Because, and I, you know, I don't know that he is able to speak for the whole Roman Catholic tradition on this, but his, his, he was saying because they believe that the Pope, when speaking ex cathedra or from his authority of, of power, is the living voice of God on earth. And is, in fact, infallible, meaning he, he doesn't make mistakes. When speaking in that when regard. When speaking in that yeah, regard, yeah. yeah. That you, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Wow. And we would take issue with that because we would say that uh, that all people, even the holiest people, are fallible. They can make mistakes. And in fact, we have a story in Scripture about this. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, who in many ways was inferior to Peter in that Paul had not walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, but Peter had from the beginning. Uh, Paul shows up on the scene in Antioch, right? And, and uh, Peter was, was practicing some things that were not faithful to the gospel. And you can read about that in Galatians chapter 2. It's within the context of justification by grace through mm-hmm. faith alone. And uh, actually, Peter, um, or Paul rather, called Peter on it. and had To a, his face. To his says, face. Right? He yeah. says, I confronted him to his face in, in because his he face. stood condemned. Yeah, wow. And that's brutal. But... Yep. Um, so there we see in Scripture that... that um, Peter was corrected. Peter, the supposedly the first pope, was corrected by, by the Apostle Paul. And, and, and even in that context, the Apostle Paul says that if we or even an angel from heaven preach to you a different gospel than the one we preach to you, let him be anathema. <laughs> let yep. him be condemned or cursed. Right. Uh, that's, those are fighting words. So we see the fallibility of Peter, uh, and in particular, he was speaking on doctrine matters, and that's what's important here. It's not yeah. that he made a mistake in his game of you know, soccer. It's that yeah. when he speaks in doctrinal matters with the authority of God, he made a mistake. He went the wrong way. Yeah, yeah and also in the New Testament, when we see the church confronting difficult decisions, they have a council. So in mm-hmm. Acts chapter 15, uh, Peter and, and James... And the other apostles, Paul, Barnabas, they all get together and they discuss it. They work it out in a council. 
Yeah. And that's the way it worked in the church with like the Council of Nicaea, which yep. laid the foundations for the Nicene Creed. Uh, there were other key councils in the later church that made decisions. And, and so that's the way that the church made its big decisions, not through a single person with singular authority. Right. And so um, Roman Catholics, they, they try, um, they point to a couple places in Scripture to try to point to defend their case that there is a Pope or that God desires for there to be one living voice that settles affairs. And one of the key places, probably the most important, is Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This yeah. is just after Peter's confession of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter absolutely nails it, crushes it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nailed it, right? And Jesus, his response to him uh, is what they base much of their doctrine of the Pope on. Because Jesus says to Peter, uh, you know, blessed are you, Peter. Uh, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but the Father. And you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, it sounds like at first blush that Jesus may be saying, Peter, you're, you are the rock, and I'm going to build my church on you, bro. Because Peter means rock. Yeah, Peter Petros, which Jesus gave Peter that name, right? Yeah, Simon. called him the rock. Yeah, yeah Simon Peter. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like, okay, hey, if that's what Jesus wants, uh, that's what he gets, right? Peter's the, Peter's the man. He's, he's the one that he will Jesus will build the whole church on. So what's the problem with this kind of thinking? Well, I think it's a misunderstanding of, of the word, the word play here, um, in that Peter is Petras, he's the rock, and Jesus says, on this rock, Petra, um, the church will be built. But uh, the church has, in its earliest days, understood this as the rock is Peter's confession, yeah. his confession of faith. So let me just read this from the Lutheran Confessions. This is uh, from a part of the Lutheran Confessions called The Power and the Primacy of the Pope. It says, And in this way, not as referring to the person of Peter, most of the Holy Fathers as Origen, Cyprian, Augustine, Hilary, etc., interpret this passage, upon this rock. Chrysostom says thus, upon this rock, not upon Peter, for he built his church not upon man, but upon the faith of Peter. But what was his faith? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Hilary says, the Peter, To Peter the Father revealed that he should say, Thou art the Son of the living God. Therefore the building of the church is upon the, this rock of confession. This faith is the foundation of the church. So really that it's not a person that the church is being built upon. It's this confession of faith. Yeah. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what the church is built on. Which makes a lot of sense. And kind of circle back to what the Greek language is doing that we wouldn't necessarily get in English. When Jesus says, you are Petros, uh, Peter, Petros, it's a masculine noun, right? It's Petros is rock, but it's a masculine noun. But then he says, and on this Petra, which is a feminine noun, if you study languages at all, a, a lot of times masculine nouns are used to describe concrete things, physic- like physical things you could touch and see. And feminine nouns are oftentimes used to describe conceptual things. 
And so here, uh, Jesus is actually making a distinction when he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He's using a different form of the same word to say they're two different things. And so what's the nearest uh, conceptual idea in the sentence is that would be Jesus is referring to the concept or the faith, mm-hmm. the confession. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the Lutherans, they would say the confessors, 1530 or so, they're making the case that even in the scripture, that's not a good interpretation, first of all. And right. then second, the early church didn't think that there would be one prime actor in the church who had all the authority. Yeah. They rejected that. And, and you know, when we look in scripture, we see that authority is something that is, that is shared between uh, pastors and congregations. And so in John chapter 20, Jesus gives the authority to forgive sins and to withhold forgiveness to the apostles. Uh, and then in Matthew 18, I just read that in my devotions today, actually. Uh, you know, he talks about whatever you bind, whatever you loose. Uh, this is really talking about church discipline yeah. and, and about um, forgiving sins and withholding forgiveness within the church. And uh, this authority is given to the church, the congregation, and to the pastors. And, um, and so th- we see authority being congregation and pastors not being this one specific person who says, you need to listen to me or you're going to hell. Right, <laughs> and which that, is how it was being abused. That's what it, how it was yeah. being abused. At the time of Luther, the Pope was saying that you have to submit to me and to my teaching, to my authority, to my judgment, and if you don't, then you are, you're out. Yeah, and in fact, in that very passage in Matthew 18, that's where it says, whatever you ask in my name, for where two or three are gathered, it will be done for them. So yeah. Jesus specifically references in the context of church discipline where two or three of you are calling upon my name. There I am with you, yeah. with those people. You know, and, 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 and this is where the, the political power of the Pope got way out of hand is yeah. because what the Pope could do is because he had this political power and this church power is he could say, okay, if this, if this area <laughs> of Europe at that time is not going to listen to me, I'll just say that they can't have communion <laughs> or that, yeah, right. that their sacraments are not valid Boom. because the, uh, uh, the efficacy of the, the Lord's Supper uh, really in Roman Catholic tradition flows kind of through the Pope right. <laughs> to the bishops, to the priests. Yep. And, and so the Pope could put the ban on, on people who didn't listen to him so that yeah. you have a whole country that's like, we can't get the Lord's Supper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, not Whereas a great use of authority. <laughs> no. Whereas we, you know, we would say, good, that authority does exist, but it exists in the Word of God. And yeah, so, in the Word of God, yeah. And I think, you know, the Lutherans even said, we would be glad to say, or we would be okay with saying that there is one bishop among others. Like a uh, first among a equals. first among e- equals the Pope. Yeah. As long as he would submit himself to scripture. And to the gospel. And they yeah. said, no deal. No deal. <laughs> <laughs> or I don't know if they responded. Well, it, which is really generous. I mean, yeah. that, that, that the Lutherans, which remember they weren't called Lutherans at that time. Yeah. Uh, Lutheran company, they 
they were willing to say, hey, we're fine with the Pope as long as he submits to the gospel, as long as he acknowledges the scriptures. Right. Uh, but no deal. So I want to make sure we have enough time for purgatory. So okay. can we jump into that Let's now? Let's do that. Okay, so purgatory is the general concept that when uh, Christians die, yeah. uh, they do not go directly to the presence of the living God. Right, unless you're like a, a superb saint. Yeah, so you're sainted maybe before you die in the eyes of the church. Yeah, unless, well, because Roman Catholicism teaches that you cannot be sure that you're going to heaven. Hmm. That, that it is wrong to say, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven, because you don't know. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. you, there's a discrepancy, you know, maybe mm-hmm. uh, it would be prideful hmm. to presume that you are in a state of grace and that you are going to heaven. Um, so to kind of fill that, you'd say, okay, purgatory is the next stop. Yeah. And purgatory, the word uh, to purge, right? It yeah, comes purgation, from purgation. Purgation, yeah. So, so when I am done here, I go to purgatory to get scrubbed a little more yeah. and, and for an undisclosed amount of time until my soul is completely pure so that I can, in fact, stand before the living God and not die. Right? I'll be holy. You'll be holy, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is our problem with that? That sounds, it doesn't sound pleasant, but what is our theological problems with purgatory? Well, because, you know, whenever the the scriptures talk to Christians in the New Testament, they talk with a great deal of confidence about arriving before God at the last day, that we are to look forward to the return of Christ with great joy. We are to even face death with the confidence that we will be in the presence of Christ. And so there is this confidence, uh, not this uncertainty. Hmm. And not because of anything we've done, but because of the work of Christ. Right. And, and so this is because, you know, in Scripture, we see justification, which is the word we use for being made right with God. We don't see that as a process. We see that as an event that took place when Jesus Christ died for us, and then we receive that by faith. Uh, through baptism and faith in his name. That's an event. And we are declared not guilty, like legally, forensically, not guilty. So the judge says, you go free. Yeah, even if your soul is still a mess of sin. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, we are regenerated. We're given the Holy Spirit. We're given the gift of a new heart. But yet sin still clings to us all the way to the end. Mm -hmm. And so our understanding is that because we've been justified through faith, when we die, that then we, uh, our soul is at rest with Christ. It's cleansed in the blood of Jesus. And we're waiting for the day of resurrection when we will be given a body yeah. like the body of Christ. So it is a little bit of a, a tricky subject because it, I am declared righteous, in, say, the courtroom, right? I'm declared righteous by God, but then, hey, why am I still struggling with this sin, right? Yeah. And I think that's what they're grappling with. St. Paul himself, he says, look, uh, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Who's going to rescue me from this body of sin, right? This body of death, he says. And and we believe that in death that we are freed from sin. Yeah, so when our sinful flesh expires, which is the judgment on our sinful flesh. Yeah, it is. Um, God mysteriously preserves us until the day of the resurrection in which he will give us new flesh, right? Just, um, 
not justified, well, justified, but also glorified like the body, like of, the body Jesus. of Jesus that cannot die and that does yeah. not sin. And yeah. doesn't have, um, is not bound to this moral decay, this moral yeah. and spiritual decay. So in the meantime, so w- we as Lutherans, we get to say, you know, thanks be to God. Um, I'm a sinner and yet God has clothed me in the righteousness of Christ and because of that, I have confidence to stand before God, even mm-hmm. though I, I personally am unrighteous. And yet he has made me righteous by the blood of Jesus. And so because of that, I have confidence, not in my own doing or my own progress, but yeah. in the completed work of Christ. So when I die, I am secure. Right. And so the Roman Catholic view of justification is not so much an event as it is a process. Mm-hmm. And so that's where purgatory comes in so that if you have not arrived at Christian perfection in this life, Mm -hmm. which they would teach that few do, if you have not arrived at perfection, then that perfection is then completed after death. So I think we both have the same goal and the goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be made like Christ, um, to be made loving because um, God is love, and so in order to be in God's presence, then then we are to all, be loving. All hate needs to be extracted. Y- yeah, right? all yeah. sin and hate needs to be purged. A- and so uh, this process needs to be completed after death. So they kind of have extra innings. <laughs> extra innings, yeah, <laughs> extra innings. yeah, over time. Where we would say, and I, so the scriptures talk about it, like to be at rest with the Lord is better than to be in the body, St. Paul says. Mm-hmm. So... The, the scriptures, when they talk about Christians dying, they talk about it as a state of blessed rest. Yeah. You're in the, the bosom of Abraham, right? Which is near to Abraham, the patriarch. That's great. That sounds good. It doesn't sound like pur- purging, right? Yeah. What sounds like purging to me is our existence now. The trials and afflictions yeah. that we go through, the great tribulation. Yeah, holding on desperately yeah. to our faith, mm-hmm. dealing with our internal temptations, the external pressures of this world, yeah. the limitations of our body and mind, and the prowling of Satan. Yeah, That's enough. <laughs> well, and, and honestly, I, I think that some of the um, belief of purgatory is perhaps imported from uh, the, the Greek thought of, of the, the soul is on a journey. And, and even this gets into some of the thoughts of Aristotle and, and later Thomas Aquinas, where like things attract to like things. And so, you know, like we are becoming more like God. Mm. God is love, and we are becoming more like him as we progress towards him. And so purgatory is this journey of the soul progressing closer and closer. It's like those satellites they send out, you know, to go to Mars. It's like getting closer and closer, mm. you know. It's going to take a while, but then eventually we'll arrive at this state of perfection. We believe, though, that this perfection is given to us already in Christ and that we will enjoy it. Um, And just just this last Sunday, right, Reformation Sunday often holds Romans 3, you know, and and it's so clear there where where St. Paul says, we hold that that we are justified by faith Mm -hmm. apart from works of the law as a gift. Yeah. And so if it is a gift that justifies us, uh, it's not progressive. It's a, it's a given. So we don't earn it or progress in it. We do progress in our love towards our neighbor. 
uh, here on this earth, um, but will be completed. That work will be completed on the last day when Christ resurrects us. So this um, this doctrine, um, you know, of of purgatory, we reject it. We say when when you die as a Christian, you are at rest and you're at peace. Um, something that the um, the Lutheran reformers, they wrote about it. They rejected it. And I'll just read a little bit of what they wrote about this. They said this, First, purgatory. Here they carried their trade into purgatory by masses for souls. So the practice of holding a mass for someone who's died. Mm -hmm. And vigils and weekly, monthly, and yearly celebrations. Um, And finally, by the common week of All Souls Day, by soul baths, so that the Mass is used almost alone for the dead, although Christ has instituted the sacrament alone for the living. Therefore, purgatory and every solemnity, rite, and commerce connected with it is to be regarded as nothing but a specter of the devil. This is Luther. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't mess around. (laughs) He just kind of says stuff. (laughs) But this is why he says this. For purgatory conflicts with the chief article, which teaches that, only Christ and not the works of men are to help set free souls. Not to mention the fact that nothing has been divinely commanded or enjoined upon us concerning the dead. Therefore, all of this may be safely omitted. And that's from his small called articles. And, you know, I think this, this is a nice segue into our next episode uh, as we kind of wrap up here. Because a lot of these doctrines kind of blend together. And so as we talk about the, the Virgin Mary, uh, which I'm excited to talk about that because I think that we um, have a lot of respect. We can even call her the Blessed Virgin, mm-hmm. even the Mother of God. Absolutely. Yep. And we'll talk about that more in our next episode. Uh, but sometimes she might take a role that even starts to replace Christ, even being called a Redeemer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and also the saints, which we'll talk about next episode, kind of begin to help us on our way to heaven through their good works. They help us through purgatory, through their good mm-hmm. works. And so a lot of these doctrines kind of bleed into each other, um, whether it be the mass or it be purgatory or the saints or good works. Um, that have created abuses that we say are traditions taught by people and not taught from scripture. And uh, really what we're saying is that anything that doesn't exalt the work of Jesus, we can, we can let go of. Yeah. We're not conscience bound to keep doing it, even if it's a long held tradition in the church. Right. Right. And I think it's important that we talk about this because sometimes, you know, I've even run into people who are part of the Lutheran church who maybe grow, grew up Roman Catholic and they'll still hold on to some traditions or some thoughts. Like they might say, you know, I just really hope that I make it to heaven, Mm -hmm. that I've done enough good things. Or they might even still pray the rosary and do that. Maybe not even knowing why they do it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And, and things like that, or maybe even, being really interested in the saints, but not in a healthy way. And we'll talk about yeah. it in the next episode about how we should have a healthy interest in the saints yeah. in their lives, but we should not have the idea that they're like a, a go-between, right. a mediator between us and God, because yeah. scripture teaches there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think what what the Lutherans were really after, and well, Martin Luther in particular was just saying, 
where is the gospel good news? You know, yeah. how can we know, where is the assurance for sinful consciences? And mm-hmm. purgatory steals that assurance. Um, and I've known, you know, if you've been to Roman Catholic funerals, you might see uh, a group of older people praying the rosary for the person who has died. Yeah, I always called that the rosary coalition. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're kind of like, if I die first, you do a thousand well, it's, rosaries It's kind of like me. an insurance policy it is. a little bit. It's <laughs> like, all right, I got your back. If you die first, yeah. I'll pray you out. And it, we laugh about it, but it's actually quite uh, sobering to think, um, and I've heard priests preach on this not too long ago, but that someone you love is not at rest, but rather someone you love is suffering. And that's the teaching of purgatory is they are suffering. And so we are bound um, by our love for them to continually pray Mm -hmm. for them to help them because they're not at peace. They are Mm -hmm. still needing salvation, really. They're needing to be finished. And And, so... And it's so sad because you see people not able to rest in what Jesus won for them. Exactly. And that's the issue they're taking. If, yeah. if sinners are robbed of comfort, uh, the Luther- Lutherans were not about that. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. Were, they would attack that doctrine um, because Christ came to bring sinners to God's presence. Yeah. And he's done it. All right, so that's our first salvo um, against some of the Roman Catholic doctrines we... Um, disagree with and yeah. we're going to continue this one at least one more yeah. episode here and um, we pray that this is useful for you that it helps you see the gospel more clearly amen all right god's peace <laughs>